0: All right, we're going to pick up on this where we left off on the last episode. And one of the things we need to talk about, on November 20th, 1963, two days before the assassination, a man named William Castor, who worked for an insurance company that had an office in the Texas School Book Depository building, brought two weapons into the building. A twenty-two rifle that he had bought for his son and a .30-06 Mauser. Caster showed these weapons to Roy Truly, the Texas School Book Depository Supervisor, and other Texas School Book Depository employees. According to Caster, he put the weapons back in his car. Now, how do we know this? Because Lee Oswald told the police that someone had brought weapons into the building. So the police go to Roy Truly. Truly says, yes, the man brought the weapons in to the book depository people looked at him and he took the weapons back out but now why would the police ask oswald this question if the only gun is the, is the carcano
1: did uh, did anybody ever go to mr castor and say hey uh we know you brought these weapons in um you say you took them back home can you can you show them to us just just to uh to clarify things. Of course not, that would be too easy. He testified before the Warren
0: Commission, told them exactly the same thing. He brought the weapons in, showed them to the employees, took the weapons into his car, took them back home. But of course, nobody on the Warren Commission asked this man to produce this weapon.
1: So then again, that takes us right back to the beginning of the last episode. Was the weapon found on the sixth floor of the school book depository a Mauser? Was it or not? We know that uh, Oswald did not own a Mauser. So was that weapon a Mauser? And if it was, then that complicates the whole conspiracy theory. Again, but why would the police ask him this question? I have no idea. I mean uh they know oswald didn't own a mauser i mean that's bottom line they know oswald did not own a mauser if 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 the weapon found on the sixth floor was a mauser then somebody who was trying to frame oswald made a mistake
0: now when lee oswald ordered this carcano he doesn't order a clip he doesn't order any ammo. Winchester stopped making ammo for this in 1948. The ammo was rare. Had he ordered a clip, the ad says they would have thrown in a box of ammo for free. He doesn't order that because he has no intention of ever firing this weapon. This weapon was ordered as part of an ATF operation that Lee Oswald was involved in, and it was designed to find out how easy it was to get these weapons through the mail, and it was obviously easy. He ordered it under the name Heidel. The box, the P.O. box is under his name. Somebody picks this weapon up. Of course, there's no signature or anything for it. Of course not. And in January 1963, Senator William Dodd had opened an investigation on this ATF investigation ordering these weapons through the mail on january 27th 1963 alex heidel ordered a pistol from this company called seaport traders in san diego this is the gun that oswald had on him when he was arrested in the theater this order of this weapon is documented in this congressional investigation Nobody ever saw Oswald with this weapon. Ruth Payne and her husband, they both say they signed affidavits saying they'd never seen these weapon, this weapon. The only thing we have are these pictures of him that were supposedly taken by his wife in the backyard. And of course, there's a lot of controversy about that.
1: So we know without a doubt that this Hydell. Is an alias of Lee Oswald. Is that correct?
0: Yes, because now this gets us into this 112th Military Intelligence Group. Now they should have been there that day and they could have controlled these buildings and got these people out. They had enough people to do this, put these people on the street, lock these buildings down. They were told to stand down that they weren't needed. Some of these men showed up anyway. Some of them were in the motorcade. There was a man named James Powell, he was on the street. When he hears the shots, he runs into the Texas School Book Depository and calls his supervisor, a man named Colonel Jones, at the 112th Military Intelligence Group in San Antonio. And, of course, while Powell's in the building, is when the police are clearing the Texas School Book Deposit building out, and when they lock the building up, James Powell, of course, gets locked inside the building. Imagine that. So then he later calls Jones back, after Oswald's been arrested, and he tells Jones that the name of the man that's been arrested is Heidel, Colonel Jones calls the FBI at 3.15 p.m. on November 22, 1963, and tells the FBI that the 112th Military Intelligence Group has a file on Lee Oswald, and they have a file on Alex Heidel. Now, when the Warren Commission asks to see these files, of course, they've been accidentally destroyed. Don't you hate it when that happens?
1: So, uh, Oswald, under the name Heidel, ordered this uh, Manlicher Carcano rifle, 36-inch. Somewhere down the line, after the uh, supposedly uh, Mauser was found, they come up with a uh, Mannlicher Carcano rifle, which, according to you, is a 40-inch Mannlicher Carcano which wasn't available when Oswald, under the name Heidel, ordered his rifle without a clip or ammo. So, where did this rifle come from?
0: We don't know. But the rifle that was that rifle was not available at the time that Oswald ordered the rifle. Now, according to the Warren Commission, this is their explanation for this: that the Klein Sporting Goods sent the 40-inch rifle instead of the 36-inch rifle, but didn't charge Oswald any extra money for the more expensive rifle and didn't even bother to contact him and tell him that they were going to send out this 40-inch rifle, which is absolutely stupendedly stupid and ridiculous. Thank you, Gerald Ford.
1: So it might have went from uh, $12.88 to what, like 14 15 bucks? But anyway, whatever it was, it was a heavier <laughs>
0: weapon. And they send it out without any other charges or shipping charges or they don't even bother to inform Oswald that they're sending him a rifle that he may not even want.
1: So where did the uh, the clip and ammo come from?
0: Uh, unknown. Now, now, the only place in Dallas where Oswald could have got ammo for the Carcano was at this place called Mason's Gun Shop, 7402 Harry Hans Boulevard, 4.9 miles from the Texas School Book Depository and it's owned by this man named John Thomas Mason. Now Lord I showed you the picture of Mason along with a picture of Oswald. Now, what would you think about this?
1: Well there's no doubt at a at a quick glance one could be confused for the other.
0: If you saw one and then saw Oswald you might think that it was him.
1: Well if if you if you saw him from a distance if yeah. you saw him on a street A quick glance, yeah, yeah, you could confuse one for the other. There's no doubt.
0: Now, this John Thomas Mason, he was actually in jail up until November the 21st for selling weapons to an undercover ATF agent. He mysteriously gets out of jail on the 21st. So this guy was out there on the street, a guy who looks a lot like Lee Oswald. If you only saw him one time, and then you saw Oswald on TV, they're very similar. And this is the only place he could have gotten ammo for the Carcano. And he shows up with four bullets. That's all. No other, no other ammo was ever found in any of Oswald's possessions. So all he has, shows up with to kill the president, is four bullets. They never found any other ammo in any of Oswald's possessions. And, of course, we were talking about this Mannlicher Carcano or Mauser, Well, here we have a document that indicates another weapon, a Johnson semi-automatic .30-06 rifle suspected of having been used in the assassination. The day after the assassination, an FBI agent questioned a man named Richard Hathcock who had kept the rifle in his office for a while. Among other things, the agent wanted to know if Hathcock had an employee named Roy Payne who apparently knew a great deal about the rifle we read that Hancock said the following. In my opinion, that the reason the FBI agent wanted to see Mr. Payne, now this is not Ruth Payne's husband, Michael Payne, this is another person's last name Payne, was because Payne's fingerprints undoubtedly were all over that rifle from his having handled it many times. It is also my opinion that unless that particular rifle had been found near the scene of the crime or in some way involved in the JFK assassination, the FBI would have no interest in it.
1: So this is a, a whole new area for me. I've never heard anything about this rifle from California.
0: And yeah, I again, so now we're dealing with a third rifle. Why would they send somebody all the way out to California to talk to this man? But it doesn't say from the documents where the weapon was located on the day of the assassination or if they had it in their possession Or what is the reason for this? But there had to have been some reason that they would go out to California or send somebody from there to talk to this man about this rifle. Now, this man, Roy Payne, he testified before the House Select Committee on assassination, and he said that Lauren Hall and an unidentified Hispanic man took the weapon from Payne about a week before the assassination. Hall's associate, Jerry Hemming, it's also known to have been in Dallas on the day of the shooting, and Hall himself told Hathcock five days prior to the assassination that he had to catch a flight to Dallas. Now, this Hemming and this Lauren Hall, this Jerry Patrick Hemming, have long been suspected of being involved in the assassination.
1: So we've covered a lot of territory over two episodes. We've got uh, Mauser versus Carcano. We've got uh, sixth floor of the school book depository versus the roof of the book depository versus the roof of the uh, Tech building. Uh, The one uh, issue I have is, were there two rifles? I don't believe there was. I believe the uh, rifle that was found on the sixth floor of the school book depository Uh, whether it was a plant or not, was a carcano. I don't believe that uh, there was a Mauser planted on the sixth floor with carcano shells. I just don't believe that kind of a a mistake would have been made with this type of conspiracy that was so flawlessly almost planned out that something like this that could have thrown a monkey wrench into the whole operation would have happened. So that's my issue. Carcano versus Mauser. I say the weapon found on the sixth floor was a Carcano and was simply misidentified.
0: And I want to thank Lloyd for coming up uh, and helping out with these two episodes. And he makes some valid points. And it's absolutely astounding to me that you have all these people looking at this rifle. The chief of police has it in his hands, and he can't tell you what it is. These other people can't identify this weapon correctly. And if this is the way the Dallas Police Department was run in 1963, and Lloyd and I talked about this, how many people you think they sent to prison that didn't do the crime? So on November 23rd, when Lee Oswald, now he's been arrested And now the world has been told that the weapon is a Carcano. You have this police officer, Weitzman, who fills out this affidavit. And in the affidavit, he says that the weapon is a Mauser. And in 1994, you have this FBI report that was released. And it was an FBI evidence envelope from the FBI Dallas field office. And it's dated 2 December 1963. The envelope was empty. The cover indicated that it contained a 7.65 millimeter rifle shell that had been found at Dealey Plaza after the shooting. So the shell was found sometime between 11:22:63 63 and 12 Nothing was known about the discovery of this shell until the FBI evidence envelope was released. Now the three most important pieces of evidence in this case are the president's body, the Zapruder film, and the limousine that the president was driving in. Of course, we know they moved the president's body out illegally. The Zabruder film was confiscated. It was at CIA headquarters that very night. And the limousine, not one Dallas police officer ever examined the president's limousine. It was driven back to Love Field, put on a C-130, flown back to Washington, D.C. The next day, Ford Motor Company comes and picks the car up, they put a new windshield in the car, and they fix the dent in the dashboard of the car that had been hit by a bullet. So once the weapon had been designated as a Carcano, not one Dallas police officer would ever speak of it as a Mauser again, except for Weitzman. Weitzman's affidavit on the 23rd, after the world has been told that the weapon is... A Carcano, his affidavit says that it was a Mauser. And, of course, this affidavit was never brought up in the Warren Commission. It was buried and not found, of course, until several years later. Dallas Chief of Police Jesse Curry testifying before the Warren Commission. Question. Do you know of any police records of your police department that showed this weapon that was purportedly involved in the assassination to be A Mauser rifle. Curry, no, sir, not to my knowledge. And then you have Captain Fritz, the chief of detectives, who holds the rifle in his bare hands, ejects a shell from the rifle. Once again, great police work there by by Dallas police. And he can't even tell you what the rifle is. Officer Boone, testifying before the Warren Commission, who referred to it as a Mauser that day. Captain Fritz, we were just discussing it back and forth, and he said, it looks like a 7.65 Mauser. Question to Captain Fritz, did you ever say that it was a 7.65 Mauser? No, sir, I did not. If I did, the Mauser part, I wouldn't be too positive about Mauser, because I am not too sure about Mauser rifles. So in the same sentence, Captain Fritz says he didn't refer to the rifle as a Mauser or that he may have referred to the rifle as a Mauser. So how do you pick up a weapon that says made in Italy, 6.5, printed clearly in English, and then tell the world that it was a 7.65 Mauser? Now, the one thing I think we have learned in these two episodes is that the Dallas Police Department in 1963 was a collection of bumbling idiots, a good old boy network, who were incapable of handling a situation of this magnitude. Not only were they incapable of handling it, they didn't want to handle it. Henry Wade, the Dallas district attorney, goes on national television and tells the world that the weapon is a Mauser. But then he tells the Warren Commission that he never even saw the weapon. And then you have Weitzman once again on November the 23rd after Oswald has been arrested and it's been announced that he owns this carcano that was found on the sixth floor. Weitzman fills out the affidavit and what does he say? That the weapon was a Mauser. So if there was no Mauser, then if this is just a case of mistaken identity by almost a dozen people, military veterans and veteran police officers who look at a weapon and cannot tell you what it is and thus the problem becomes the lack of communication between the dallas police department and their inability to control what was being said which of course forced the warren commission to deal with this mauser carcano issue and of course they had no success in solving this either. Waldo Thayer, a reporter for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, testifying under oath before the Warren Commission. I was at Dallas police headquarters shortly after 1 p.m. and observed a meeting between the seven highest ranking members of the Dallas police force. When the meeting broke up, I asked the secretary, what's going on? And her answer was, they found a rifle. I asked her where. She said, on the roof of the Texas School Book Depository building. And this article appeared November 23, 1963, in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Even Jack Ruby, the man who kills Lee Oswald a day later, can't figure out what's going on here. He makes his statement to the police, and he says, there seems to be some confusion about the rifle. How would Jack Ruby know this, and why would he be interested in this? I still believe there were two rifles, and I base this on Weitzman's affidavit from the 23rd. The CIA document that says the description of a 6.5 caliber mannlicher Carcano rifle in the Italian and foreign press is in error, and I also believe that there was the second patsy because you do not know that Oswald is going to be there that day and I will get deeper into this in the next episode. And I think this becomes a matter of self-preservation. Dallas FBI agent James Hosty, whose name and phone number were found in Lee Oswald's wallet the day he was arrested, told the House Select Committee on Assassinations in 1977 that his main motivation was saving his job. And of course, Hosty was reprimanded by fbi director j edgar hoover for his pre-assassination association with oswald and he was shipped off to kansas city to catch chicken thieves and whatnot hostie's boss a man named gordon shanklin testified under oath in front of the warren commission that he had never heard the name lee oswald before november 22, 1963 and in may 1964 he retires from the fbi His boss, a man named William Sullivan, the number three man in the FBI, told Washington Post columnist Jack Anderson that Shanklin had lied under oath because Sullivan knew who Oswald was before the assassination, and Shanklin knew, and they had discussed Oswald before the assassination. And then Sullivan says something very interesting to Jack Anderson. He tells Jack Anderson, when you hear about my death, they'll claim it was an accident. It won't be. In 1977, before Sullivan was scheduled to testify before the House Select Committee on Assassinations, he's standing in his backyard, and a hunter mistakes him for a deer and shoots him. In most cases, murder cases, there's not enough evidence. In this case, we have too much evidence. Like maybe some of it was put there on purpose, and maybe that's the answer to this. Maybe the confusion is deliberate to get people to doubt what they saw and to discredit people who made accurate descriptions of what they did see. Wesley Frazier was a 22-year-old employee at the Texas School Book Depository. He lived across the street from Ruth Payne where Lee Oswald and his wife were staying. On the morning of November 22nd, Frazier testified that when Lee Oswald showed up at his house, he was carrying a package about two feet long wrapped in brown paper, which he put in the back seat of Frazier's car. When Frazier asked Oswald what the package was, Oswald said it was curtain rods for his apartment on North Beckley Avenue. Wesley Frazier testified that the package was about two feet long. When shown the carcano that was supposedly found on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository, Frazier said that could not have been the package that oswald was carrying wesley fraser was also arrested that day by dallas police they believed he might have been lee oswald's accomplice they searched fraser's home and they confiscated his british 303 enfield rifle which is a much better rifle than the piece of crap carcano so i think you can see clearly that there's no end to this there's no explanation for this any of this and if you don't believe that there was a second rifle involved in this found on the sixth floor or found somewhere there, then your opinion is just as valid as mine. And, of course, this package that Lee Oswald was supposedly carrying with curtain rods in it was never found, which the government says proves that Oswald was carrying the rifle, which, of course, no one saw him carry this into the building. And about a month or so after the assassination, Ruth Payne is in her garage in Irving, And what does she find? She finds a brown paper package about two feet long. And what is inside the package? Curtain rods. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this episode. And again, this is one of those pieces of this that just there is no answer to. Because the people whose job it was that day and after that day to clear these questions up, for whatever reason, didn't do it. All right, in the next episode, we're going to talk about this man, this Igor Vaganoff. Was he the second Patsy, or was he the guy Oswald was supposed to meet in the theater that day? All right, it's shout-out time. You know we got him. Uh, we got Don up in Saginaw, Michigan. Don, thanks for listening. Check out episode 51. You'll hear some familiar voices. We got Mike up in Ohio. Hey, we got to give a shout-out to the folks at the uh, NSA listening station in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Y'all ain't fooling me. And our friends in the UK, Germany, Belgium, Ireland, Australia, Auckland, New Zealand, thanks to everybody for listening.